So this is our Bible Institute. And um, we had 869 students as of today. So that's good. More students coming in all the time. And uh, I think I said it last week, reaching another recent associate's degree awarded out in uh, Nigeria to one of our graduates there. And they're pressing on. He is pressing on, work on his bachelor's degree. So that's really good. So we're continuing with that. Uh, and we are going to start a new course here. This is going to be uh, Old Testament 2. So we just we completed the first part of this. We went from Genesis to 1 Samuel. And now in this chunk, we're going to be going from 2 Samuel to 2 Kings. So there's lots of twos in this one. Old Testament 2, 2 Samuel to 2 Kings. Just kind of worked out that way. So uh, this is an interesting chunk of Scripture. You kind of have to hang with it. The... the um, the time of the kings is an interesting time in the history of Israel. Um, but there's a lot of problems in this period of time. And um, there's a lot of really evil kings that pop up. There's some good kings, but there's a lot of really bad kings. And um, just how far Israel wanders off track during this part of history is really shocking. And um, the things that happened because of that, you know, they, they, they were given how to live and they've chosen not to live that way and there's just massive consequences that take place throughout their the history um, that you're going to see and so it's uh, kind of interesting we'll we'll um we'll have to look at quite a bit of the scripture and we'll read some of that because i don't know i think this is the area where people sort of get um stuck and maybe don't press through in reading all of this part uh, of the Bible, you get into some of these things: the Samuel's, the Kings, the Chronicles, and um, if you've if you've hung up through there, you might sort of get stuck here and start moving on. So we're gonna we're gonna try and press through it together. Uh, like I said, then then you, a lot of people get stuck back in Leviticus too, or or Numbers. That's where they stop. But if you've pressed on through there, this might be another kind of stopping point. So if you know what's going on, it makes the story a lot more interesting, and the story is fascinating. Uh, and uh, when you know what you're watching. And remember, throughout this, you're looking at this thread of redemption that's going to be running through the line of David to Jesus. And you're going to see how the enemy is constantly attacking it. Um, the enemy is trying to destroy it uh, before it ever happens at the cross. And so he's, he's, all these things are happening. And um, you just see the, the sort of... the way that people... And we still do it. Tend to want to go our own way and do our own thing. And, and the consequences of that uh, are, are great and impact everybody around us. Well, as we finished up in 1 Samuel, uh, Saul had just been killed. Saul has, Saul's now dead. Remember, Saul's been chasing David for years. David um, has been anointed to be king, but he hasn't stepped into that office yet uh, because Saul was king. And David, you know, was not going to get in the way of God. God. David wanted to do things God's way. And Saul wanted to do things Saul's way. Um, we've also already seen that David is far from perfect. And he, um, he makes bad decisions sometimes, even though he's a man after God's own heart. And I, I, like I always tell you, when I, when I see these guys who make bad decisions but repent and really try to move towards the Lord, I think it's good for us to see that. Um, because we all make bad decisions, we all go our own way, and yet our, our heart's desire is still that we want to serve Him, and He continually draws us and moves us in the process. Well, so as we move into the first chapter then of Second Samuel, 
What you're going to see here, as we begin to read Second Samuel, is David's going to become king, uh, first of Judah and then of Israel. Um, but there's going to be some problems in the process. So Saul is so Saul's dead now. And then in verses uh, 11 through 16 of Second uh, Samuel 1, it says that David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. Now, what had happened is someone has come and an Amalekite has come and told them that Saul uh, has been killed. Saul and Jonathan in battle. And we saw that at the end. We, we saw that uh, Saul had fallen on his own spear uh, and um, died. However, the Amalekite comes and tells a story, and he tells David, he says, oh, this was in the previous verses. Yeah, I saw Saul called me over. He was hanging on his uh, sword or spear, and uh, he wasn't dead yet, and he asked me to finish him off, so I did. And I took his crown and something else, and I'm bringing them to you like he's going to get some sort of reward or something from this process. So anyway, when David and his men hear this, this is verse 11, um, they took over their clothes and they tore them. And that was a pretty normal thing to do as a sign of grieving. Uh, they, they would rent their garments. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who brought in the report, where are you from? I am son, uh, the son of an alien Amalekite, he answered. And David asked him, why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. So, um, David, now remember David has been on the run and he's been a constant warrior at this phase of his life. That's all he's done. And so he's, he's been in battle and wars and over and over and over again. And he, he's gotten a little callous, uh, in, you might say, because he's just so used to war and death and this process. Um, so Second Samuel chapter 2 kicks in. And if, you're, if you make little notes in your, in your margins or whatever in your Bibles or if you want to know. So we're now in history at 1010 B.C. It's now 1010 B.C., 1010 B.C. In 2 Samuel 2, verse 4, The men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And, and, uh, and so in 1010, David becomes king over Judah. And that's a pretty significant thing. But not over all Israel yet. So um, the story goes on in verse 8. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, has taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to uh, Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead, Asherah, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. So Ishbosheth uh, was the son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he reigned two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. So now we have this first split in the kingdom. It happens at the death of Saul. David is now the king over Judah. But um, the rest uh, are under one of Saul's sons. But really, they're under the command of Abner, who was the commander of Saul's armies. Uh, he's sort of a puppet king, Ishbosheth. Uh, he's, he's, he's Saul's son, but he's never really in charge. Abner is in charge. And, uh, and so David is over Judah now. The tribe of Judah is under David. Joab is their commander uh, of the army. And the other 11 tribes are under Ishbosheth. Um, but but he's being controlled by Abner, who's the commander of, of the armies of Israel that are left. And uh, in, so in Second Samuel two twelve, Abner, uh, together with the men of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, 
left Mahanaim and went to Gibeon. Uh, and Joab, who's the commander of David's armies, they went out to meet them at the pool of Gideon. One group sat down on one side. I'm reading from Second Samuel chapter 2. And one group on the other. And then Abner said to Joab, let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. All right, let them do it, Joab said. So they stood and were counted off. Twelve men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth son of Saul, and twelve for David. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into the opponent's side, and they fell down together. So that place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hazurim. The battle that day was very serious, and Abner and the men of Israel were defeated by David's men. So there's a battle there. This thing starts, and it goes off into a battle. The three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, uh, Abishai and Asahel. Uh, now Asahel was as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle, and he chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor the left as he pursued him. So the tribe of Judah wins this battle. The people from Judah, the, Abner and his guys take off running. One of Joab's brothers, remember he's the commander of uh, David's armies, one of his brothers who's running, he's chasing after Abner. Abner tells him to stop a couple of times because he doesn't want to kill him, but he refuses to stop. And so, in effect, he just kind of, the guy's chasing him, and he takes his spear and throws it backwards and kills Joab's brother. Now, that's a big problem because Joab is not happy with that, who's the commander of the armies of David's. And, and so, uh, not only is he not happy, he has to offend, he has to avenge his brother's death. So, that's going to that's gonna come up in a little while and be an issue. So Abner gets free. Uh, he runs free. Um, they, they don't fight for a little while, the two tribes. But Joab now has a problem with, a significant problem with Abner in the process. So we get into chapter 3. And this war continues between Saul and David. Uh, and they, they're kind of doing little skirmishes on and off. Um, and David's house is growing stronger. And the house of Saul is growing weaker and weaker. Verse 6 of Second Samuel 3. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Ahiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? So um, what would happen a lot of times when um, a king had been defeated, whoever defeated the king would often go and sleep with the concubines of the king. It was a way of asserting dominance, uh, or, and, or, or the new king would come and do that. But what happened is Abner, who's the commander of the armies, he did that. He's, so he's really asserting himself uh, as the, the kind of king there, even though he's not in the lineage. And um, Ishbosheth doesn't like it and calls him on it, but there's nothing he can do about it. And, uh, and then Abner says to him, you know what, I'm just... I, I, I'm going to go ahead, if you ever say another thing, I'm going to go ahead and move this army over to David. We're all going to go under David. But he's already decided to do that anyway. Uh, and so in verse 12 of Second Samuel 3, uh, Abner sent messages on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. So bring the kingdom back together. Good, says David. I'll make an agreement with you. But I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Um, because that was David's, one of David's wives, and she had been taken away. Saul had taken her away at some point. So uh, he wants her back. And uh, it continues on. 
in verse 17. And Abner goes and tells the people of Israel, if we go back to David and, and make this one big kingdom, then David's going to take care of the Philistines and we're going to get our land back. And, uh, and so the people decided they would do it. So Abner goes to see David and they have an agreement and everything's going to be resolved. Um, but then in verse 22, um, Joab, who had been gone, fortunately, comes back and finds out that Abner has been there. And he's not happy about that. He's not happy about any sort of agreement, probably because um, besides not only does he need to avenge his brother's death, but if Abner comes with that army, Joab thinks that Abner is going to get his job as well. And so he sort of sneakily calls Abner back and kills him. Which really upsets King David because David had this whole thing worked out and the whole thing, everything was going to be restored. But now these problems have, you know, arisen. And so there's this big mess and everything that happens. And uh, he says to, it's kind of funny in verse 29. He, uh, verse, let me read you 28. Later when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. Listen to this. May Joab's house never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks or who lacks food. He's kind of he's he wants something on that house forever. Somebody ought to be mad all the time because of what's happening in the process. So so that's been going on. And uh, and so Joab does what he needed to do and uh, avenges that. So. So these two guys decide they're going to try and win some points with uh, David and they go to Ishbosheth's house and they sneak in and in the middle of the night they kill him while he's asleep. In the middle of the day, they kill him while he's asleep. They cut his head off and they bring his head to David and they say, here's his head. Uh, this is, and they're trying to, so here's the head of, you know, the son of Saul who tried to kill you and uh, this day the Lord has avenged you and David says, um, in verse 9, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of all trouble, when a man told me Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death in Ziklag. That was how we started the chapter, the book. Uh, that was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed, should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? So David gave an order to his men and they killed him. They cut off their hands and feet, hung the bodies by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. So there you see this big problem because of all the things that are going on. Now, in chapter 5, the, uh, the kingdom is finally going to be reunited under David. And, and so we're at 1003 B.C. now. Uh, and uh, so time has, has passed. All right. Uh, they've moved seven years into the future. Um, verse one, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we're your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on the military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you'll become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to David, King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. So, 
He starts at 30. He's got uh, those first seven years just over Judah. And then the last 33, Israel is united again. And David is king over all of those things in the process. Uh, And then in in chapter 5, David goes and conquers Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this point is... uh, Part of the, the Jebusites have Jerusalem, and they, um, they don't feel like anybody can attack them. It's a walled city. It's very safe, so they don't think anybody can come and get them. But David goes. God gives him wisdom, and they take Jerusalem, and that's where David decides to finally settle down in Jerusalem. So you find King David there in the process. Um, the, um, the Jebusites stayed even when the Israelites came in. Back in Joshua 15:63, it said Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And at that point in time, it says, to this day, the Jebusites lived there with the people of Judah. But David finally gets them out and routes them out. And uh, it says in verse 12 of chapter 5, And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So um, now that this is sort of set up and established, it's a pretty big deal. The kingdom is united. They're in Jerusalem. Um, the, uh, the Philistines hear that all this has happened. They come and really try and take over and, and they make a big battle. But David uh, wins that battle and uh, he struck down the Philistines. Finally, they're dealt with at the end of chapter 5. And they had been a constant thorn for um, Israel for many, many years. And now David defeats them soundly. And things are happening in pretty good fashion at this point in time. Things are, the kingdom is united. David's the king. They've got Jerusalem. And uh, they've beaten the Philistines. And so now in chapter 6, David decides to go and get the ark. Because the ark has been gone for quite some time. And, uh, you, you know, if you stay with me, you understand the significance of the ark and what was in the ark. And uh, that they wanted the ark back. And uh, so in, in uh, 2 Samuel 6, they... Uh, they head out, verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bela of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. Remember, the ark represents the, the very presence of God. The, it's like the, the mercy seat of God is there. We've talked about this a lot. It's a pretty significant deal. And so they, um, uh, they set the ark on, of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab. Uh, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire house. So they went to get the ark. But um, Uzzah reaches up and touches the ark, which you're not allowed to do. Uzzah was not supposed to, no one's supposed to touch. It's the presence of God. It's holy. Uh, he's uh, killed. And um, David doesn't know what to do at that point in time. So he, uh, 
He takes the ark to the house of Obed-Edom. I always think about that. Um, Obed-Edom, pretty interesting character. But you, you imagine what Obed-Edom was telling his kids? <laughs> Don't touch that. <laughs> Don't touch it. I mean, and then the kids desire to go and touch something. You tell them not to touch it. But anyway, his whole household, they're all blessed because of the presence of God in their house. And uh, David hears... Uh, that the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. So the issue was that um, David hadn't inquired of the Lord about how to go about getting the ark. And when the ark was transported... There was a certain way that it happened back in, you know, when the tabernacle was, was moving through the desert, when they needed to go and move the ark, there was a system to moving the ark. And David had bypassed everything that God had in place. And so um, we learned from information in First Chronicles 15 that's very interesting. So David constructs buildings for himself in the city of David, and he prepares a place for the ark of God, and he pitches a tent for it. And then in verse 13, uh, here's the, here was the issue. He says this, it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. So the Levites were supposed to be the ones that transported the ark. David had just gone after and done it his own way. There was a consequence for that. He's spent some time figuring out what he's supposed to do. Drops back, prays. God shows him what he needs to do. Go and do it the way it's always supposed to be done. And then the Levites go. And the Levites would actually back into where the ark was with these poles and get them in there and pick up the ark. It was all done very reverently. And then they would carry that um, ark that way. And this time, every time they take six steps, they sacrifice. They have a big sacrifice to God. They're going to make sure this one goes well. You think about every six steps you're stopping and he was sacrificing bulls and stuff. Pretty significant deal. But, um, but they bring the ark back to the place that's been made for it. And then chapter 7 is very important because the, uh, uh, the Davidic covenant is introduced here. And what happens is David wants to build a house for God, but God says he'll build a house for David. Pretty significant. And... Um, let me read it. Verse 8. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever. So 
Yeah, he's getting prophetically two things that are going to happen prophetically. Some of them have a, an immediate fulfillment and some of them have a future fulfillment. So some of these things are talking about Solomon and some are talking about Jesus and what's going to go and happen in that process. And David, throughout the course of his life, he will gather all of the materials that need to happen for the, the temple to be built. He gathers it all. He gets all the money together. He gets all the materials together. He has everything ready, but he knows he can't build the house. But when Solomon comes... Solomon doesn't even, it's all there. It's all ready. David gets it already, but can't do it. But the, the parts of this covenant, the Davidic covenant, um, three things are fulfilled before David dies. Verse 9, I will make your name great. That happens. He has a great name, uh, David, throughout the, the land. And that name sticks and still to this day, his name is great. David, King David, big deal. Um, I will give you more land. That was true. They, they got much more land. And I will give you rest from your enemies. At the time of David, when you get back to, uh, after all this had happened, they were at peace for quite some time. Th- that, that's the period in history that the people of Israel were longing to return to. And they were looking for a Messiah who would do that for them and restore the Davidic kingdom. Because it was the absolute best time in the history of Israel. And then... After the death of David, verse 12, the eternal seed, it's talking about Jesus, that's going to run from his line through Jesus. The eternal kingdom, which is established in Jesus, and the eternal throne, which is also established in Jesus. And, uh, and so David will continue to have victories and gain land, and they will continue to take care of their enemies. Chapter 8, David also defeated the Moabites. He made them lie down on the ground and measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought tribute. Very tough when you read that stuff. That was just kind of two-thirds were going to go. And uh, this happened to be where they were, we were placed. So a lot of stuff is, is hard to take in, but the enemies that they're conquering were, were just evil, and they needed to be, uh, they were supposed to be taken out in the first place, and they weren't. So um, those things continue. So part of that Old Testament history is hard to read. But what you need to know from where we're at right now is David is now king. The Davidic covenant has been made. Um, uh, David is established. There will be peace for a time. And then the next part of the stuff gets messy again because uh, part of the story that happens next is David gets with Bathsheba, who's married to somebody else. And that starts another whole set of problems for them. Uh, and so you'll see that coming up next. But anyway, uh, God deals with that. And David repents and things press on. But there you go. That's where we're at right now. That's enough for today. It's a lot of information, but uh, it's going to help us get through there. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. And uh, we're going to drop it and finish it right there. All right. Good. If you have prayer requests, pass them up to me. I will pray for you. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.